Father God, we just come before you today so thankful. Lord, thankful that you are our God. That, Lord, nothing that comes against us will ever surprise you. Lord, you're always constant. You're always faithful. You're always good. Lord, you're always in control. No matter what happens, no matter what circumstance comes our way. Lord, even those times that we face things that we've never faced before, Lord, you're already there. God faithful. And God, it's our desire and it's our honor and it's our privilege to praise you and to glorify you. Jesus, you told us to let our light so shine before men that they could see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. Lord, now I pray that, God, as we hear this message from Pastor Chris, as we recognize, Lord, what is possible, Lord, what you are capable of through our lives that are yielded to you, that we would catch the vision of, God, what you did in Acts 2. And, Lord, we would see that lived out in our lives and in this fellowship called Firewell Bible Fellowship. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We honor you. Thank you for this time of worship. And we give you glory. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Can we show our appreciation? Thank you, Lord, for the worship this morning. You know, I pray he is as richly blessed as we are. Amen? All right. With that said, let's open our Bibles. Everybody say word. Uh, a lot of folks in the middle saying word. Kind of folks on the sides here. Can we say on three? One, two, three. Word. Woo! Let's open the word. Uh, we are going to be in the word. We're going to be in specifically Acts chapter 2. Uh, we are continuing our verse by verse, book, well, chapter by chapter. We'll do book by book in the future, but chapter by chapter study of the book of Acts. Uh, and with that said, I recognize that over the past uh, few weeks, like June and July, Pastor Chris, me, I've been playing a little bit of hooky. Uh, with that said, we've had some fantastic preaching, haven't we, over the past couple of weeks? Wonderful, wonderful preaching. Uh, but with, with all that, it's hard for us to stay in motion, like in track with verse-by-verse study. So like, where are we at in, in the book of Acts? And, and so just like when we're watching our favorite TV program or where we're like, streaming it on Netflix, they always have that like recap, you know, so you can like reorient your mind in the story and in the series, and, and uh, I always just hit skip because I'm like binge watching, I'm like, I don't need a recap, but please don't hit skip on this, okay, like this is pretty important stuff. In fact, I've, I've put together a whole overview of chapter one and two, it is attached to our sermon notes every single week, I prepare for you sermon notes and sermon questions, and often we have a stack of them left. And I want to encourage you, please pick these up. Use them for your small group Bible study. Use them with your family. Sit down with your children. You're, you're being taught the passage. Then you can sit down and teach it to somebody else. Those resources are for you. In fact, there's this entire overview that I'm going to lay out for you to give you a recap. So it's going to be five to seven minutes. Buckle up. Don't try to take copious notes. Just try to keep up. Are we all attentive right now? If you are, say yeah. Hey, good deal. Okay, we started our study of the book of Acts in what gospel? Gospel of Luke. That is right, 10 points. Did you say that, Stephen? Oh, Stephen. <laughs> That's funny, Stephen. Uh, okay, so gold star, 10 points, thumbs up. Whatever, what would you prefer? Do you have a preference? Gold star? Yeah, right on. Gold star to Stephen. Okay, so we started off our study of the, of the book of Acts in the gospel of Luke. Why? Because Luke and Acts create a two-part volume series. The author of it, Luke, set out to put together a narrative of the things that had been taught, all the things that Christ had commanded in his, his earthly ministry. That is the gospel of Luke. He says, I've written these things so that you may know and that you may have confidence concerning the things that you have been taught. 
Okay, so he taught all that Christ commanded and taught up until his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. Then we turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and we saw that Luke opens his acts or his, his narrative similar to how he did in Luke. He's saying, hey, dear Theophilus, we don't know who Theophilus is. He's referred to as most excellent Theophilus. We call him Theo, most likely a high-ranking Roman official who requested or either underwrote or requested a copy of this work that Luke is putting together. And so Luke sets out in chapter 1 of Acts to tell us that he is now continuing to teach and present the narrative of all that Christ taught, all that Christ commanded and continue to do in and through the church through the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. The 11 disciples, the 11 methetes uh, in Greek, which means taught ones, are now called the apostolosses, the apostles. They are now the sent ones. And so we meet them. And Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem for power from on high. We saw that in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. They are waiting witnesses. Okay? Acts chapter 4, or Acts chapter 1, 4 through 11, shows the disciples, they are gathered together. The apostles are on Mount of Olives. It is the final conversation that they have with Jesus before he ascends into heaven. And what did he tell them? He told them that power was going to come upon them, and they were to be what? Acts 1 8. You all remember? Witnesses, where? Like concentric circles, really. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts of the earth. He was saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will carry the message of Christ from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts of, of the world, to Rowlett, okay? So that included Rowlett. So the gospel went out, but they had to wait for power from on high. Then Christ ascended into heaven, and they're standing there gawking at the sky, and two angels are like, hey guys, what are you gawking at? Jesus, the way he ascended, he'll return... Don't spend all your time looking up. Spend all your time being about his work. And they were told to wait. Well, while they were waiting, we saw this, this little time capsule in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. While waiting, Peter rises as a leader among this small group of 120 believers. This is not the church yet. Okay, the church has not been born. And Peter sees a need. There's like an immediate vacancy in, in the group of the disciples and the apostles because there was 12, and you all remember what happened to Judas. He committed suicide. And so they're like, Peter's like, uh, we, we pretty much need to fill this vacancy. And so using a combination of prayer, scripture, common sense, which actually is a kind of a, that's a good trinity for, for making a, a solid decision, prayer, scripture, and common sense. Well, they tack on to that an Old Testament practice of casting lots, and they choose Matthias. I believe that is man's choice. I've argued that was man's choice, not God's. We meet God's choice in Acts chapter 9 in the person of Paul the apostle, but that is how Acts chapter 1 concludes. Acts chapter 2 opens early morning, Pentecost morning in Jerusalem. That is the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit comes down in power. There just so happened to be all the nations gathered in Jerusalem, the Jewish nations, there to worship at the Feast of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down. The sound of a mighty rushing wind fills the house, reverberates through the streets of Jerusalem, and you see the tongues of fire aligning on each individual believer, 120 in all, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they rush out into the streets. What were they doing? They were praising God. They were glorifying God, bringing glory to God in all the languages of all the people gathered. It is a miracle. 
and a huge crowd gathers, hearing the glory of God proclaimed in all of their, all their gathered languages, and they're like, what does this mean? While another group of people said, oh, they're just drunk. Peter stands up to preach the very first sermon that has ever been delivered in the church. Is that significant? Y'all think that's significant? The very first sermon that was ever preached was preached outside. Y'all find that significant? And it was preached to a group of believers and non-believers. I find that significant. I don't know why. I'll, I'll expound that later, but I just think that's cool. So Peter stands up. We see this in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41. Maybe because we should be outside sometimes. Like maybe we should be taking this message outside these doors. Do you all agree with that? I mean, it seems semi-biblical, right? Peter preaches his Pentecost sermon. It is first and foremost biblical. He preaches biblical context. He preaches Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32 to say, hey, look, what you're seeing, this, this miraculous speaking of tongues, these wild-eyed 120 Christ believers, they're full of the Holy Spirit. Just as Joel prophesied, the Holy Spirit would be sent in power. Ta-da! And he goes on to say that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So class, who is the Lord? If I'm going to call upon the Lord, who is the Lord? Jesus. Jesus is the... Let's say that one more time. Jesus is the... Do you all agree with that? Well, Peter sets out for the rest of his message to prove that Jesus is the Lord. First, his works, his miracles, his signs testify that he is not only Lord, but he is the Messiah. His death and his suffering, his burial and resurrection testify that he is Messiah and he is Savior. And his ascension and ultimate exaltation testify that he is truly the Lord, that by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Peter is the full swing of his, of his message. He says this, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, that God has declared him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Wow, talk about a seeker-sensitive message. Points at this gathered crowd and says, you crucified him. And gathered in the masses of people somewhere in or around the temple are people that had literally, 50 days prior, cried out, crucify. And then he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. He literally preaches turn or burn. Can you imagine? The very first turn or burn message. And you know what happened? 3,000 people were cut to the heart. Pierced, literally pierced to the heart with truth. They'd crucified their Messiah. They had rejected their Lord. And they now ask the second question, what do we do? Brothers, what must we do? And it's that same moment in every single one of our lives. And I pray you get to this point where you recognize you need a Savior. Your works are not sufficient. We are morally tarnished. We are ethically impure. We are incapable of approaching a holy God with pure hands and a clean heart. And that same question should come out of our mouths. What do we do? To which Peter replied, repent. Repent of unbelief. The first work of repentance is repenting of unbelief in Jesus to see, whom, see who he really is. He is Savior. He is Lord. I believe. I believe that he died for me and was buried and he is risen. And I am baptized to testify of that. I receive the Holy Spirit. And that day, 
3,000 people repented of unbelief. 3,000 people were baptized. They'd received the Holy Spirit, and they showed up at church. Can you imagine? What would you do if 3,000 people showed up? And I know some of us are sitting here going like, oh, that's, incre- that's impossible. There's no way 3,000 people could show up. You, you guys realize how small that is? Did you know if you put, pinpointed on a map, fire wheel right here, it, we are right here, but if you, on a map, five miles a radius around fire wheel, I mean, I could totally run that or jog, maybe walk it. I could take an Uber. I could get to five miles. There are 150,000 people. And you want to know the largest demographic made up of that? Unchurched, dechurched, and badly churched. And in fact, the largest demographic in Dallas-Fort Worth of 6 million people is non-churched people. In the land of the megachurch, the largest demographic of people is non-churched, non-reached people. And when we talk about a five-mile radius of 150,000 people, when I say 3,000, we're only talking 2%. Family, do you think God could use Firewall Bible Fellowship to reach 2%? I believe we can. And, and I think maybe one day we'll have to answer this question. But they did. They had to answer the question. What do you do when 3,000 people show up? Uh, I, I saw some funny... I posted that on Facebook, and I got some interesting responses. Some said, pass an offering plate. It's <laughs> good shtick right there. Some said, order some pizza. Open a cash bar. <laughs> Welcome to Firewheel. I have a much better answer. Here it is. We point them to Jesus. We point them to Jesus. Family, when we get our eyes off of Jesus and we stop pointing people to Jesus, we lose our distinctiveness as a church. We are to be distinct. And in among culture. We do not exist simply to gather people. Please never get the perspective that the church is just to gather people to gather people. We are not here to host programs or plan activities or engage in community service. We do not exist to simply feed the homeless or address societal injustice or to fund missions or whatever else seems to cloud the focus of why we gather as a church. Those things should flow from why we gather. Okay, as we are connected and we are cultivated and we become champions, those things should happen. But you want to know why we gather? Devotion to Jesus. There are two words that describe the early church. Two words, please do not forget them. Devoted together. Devoted together. And that devotion together was expressed in four distinct ways as we're going to see in verse 42 of chapter 2 of Acts. They were devoted together. They were devoted to Christ together. Verse 42, it says, they and they what? Do you all see that word devoted? We see that word twice in five verses. Very significant word. They devoted themselves. It is the Greek word proskaterio. That word means to be committed to, steadfast, attentive, to persevere in and not faint. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They were a devoted people. Family, devotion, to be devoted, it's the stuff we talk about, it's the things we invest in and where we give our time. 
That speaks of our, of our devotion. And I'll tell you what, we exist in a culture that is devoted. We have a very devoted culture. It's the focus of the devotion that's the problem. What are some of the things that we're devoted to as a culture? Okay, money. You all agree with that? Does that seem like something we're devoted to? What else? Sports. Entertainment. We build billion-dollar stadiums. Because we are devoted, man. How long before uh, Jerry World gets outdated? <laughs> Let's just tear it down and build a bigger one. He said last year. <laughs> We're not talking about the team that's playing there right now. I'm just kidding. There's nothing get running out of Texas church faster to make fun of the Cowboys in Dallas. Talking about my cowboys like that. What else are we devoted to? Social media. What else? Relationships. Well, here, y'all are, we're on the same path here. I, I, I wrote down here career and attainment, success, Silicon Valley dreams, right? We, the big money. Uh, we, are, we are dedicated and devoted to sex. It is just, our culture is literally littered with it. I mean, sex is everywhere. We are a hypersexualized people, we are devoted to violence. We are entertained by violence. Uh, how about retirement? How many of y'all want to retire someday? That sounds pretty cool, right? I mean, we all kind of want to retire, right? And some of us are actually really happy right now because in January, Social Security is going to get bumped a little bit. A couple of you are going, amen. The rest of us are like, it probably won't be there when we get there, but y'all enjoy. There's actually some admirable things we're devoted to as a culture. Aren't there? How about family? Isn't it admirable to be a devoted father or mother? That's, that's admirable. There's some things that we're devoted to that are admirable. We are devoted to country. It's an admirable devotion. How about education? Freedom, democracy. But I will argue that we are to be devoted to Jesus above all of that. No matter how admirable the pursuit of our culture, we are to be devoted to Jesus above and beyond. Above job, above family, above entertainment and education, and even country. Jesus above all. That is the devotion that marked the early church. And that devotion went in two different directions. It went up and it went out. They were devoted to Christ and they were devoted to one another. And their devotion expressed itself in four very, very distinct ways. In fact, the first one is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. And, and that's very distinct. Okay, the apostles' teaching was the teaching of the apostles. Think about this. As Peter is preaching, what books was he preaching out of? He's preaching out of the Old Testament. Joel and Psalms, specifically. So that tells us the apostles' teaching is the Old Testament. And then through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, they began to preach and teach all that Christ commanded and all that Christ continued to command. All that we have recorded here in our New Testaments. That makes this central to everything we do. We are to be devoted to the Word of God. Okay, we should not gather here to hear philosophy taught or my ideas expounded or anyone else's ideas. Okay, as, as good as a fictional book is, that is not what we're going to have taught here. We're to be a people devoted to God's word. That is the apostles' teaching right here. We have it recorded for us. 
The early church was devoted to the word. They came together daily and weekly to hear the word taught. Family, we should demand nothing less. I want to challenge you to come here hungry. Ask God to stir in you an appetite for his word. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, make me hungry. Because I'll tell you what, every single week you walk through these doors, I'm going to give it everything I've got to feed and give you a meal worth eating. And you should demand that from me. And any person who calls himself a teacher, or any gal who calls herself a teacher, whether it's from our, our itty-bitties, from our knee-highs, all the way up to AF11 class, you should demand teaching from the Word of God. Settle for nothing less. We're to be a people devoted to God's Word. Secondly, they were devoted to the fellowship. The fellowship. It was distinct. It didn't just mean a gathering of people. They were devoted together. And that word fellowship, it is the Greek word koinonia. And it's a beautiful word. It, it means basically like communion and community. Who's at the center of koinonia? Jesus. When two or more are gathered in the name of the Dallas Cowboys. I'm in your midst. When two or more are gathered together to go check out that new movie. Now, when two or more are gathered in my name, there's something significant. When we get together and Christ is at the center, he's at the center of our discussions, he's at the center of our prayers, he's at the center of our meals. It's distinct. Everything else is secondary. Christ should be at the center of our gatherings, whether they are in our homes or here in this church. Only when Christ is at the center is it true fellowship or koinonia. And that's what marked the early church. And that koinonia was expressed in two very distinct ways. First was the breaking of bread. How many of y'all like bread? Atkins, right? Hate that guy. So, bread, breaking of bread. You know what that, two ways that they broke bread. One was in communion. Jesus took a loaf of bread the night he was betrayed and he broke it. What was that breaking symbolizing? His body that was about to be broken. And he used a very common part of a meal to show that every time they ate. Now what we have done is we have created a very, very neat little process. And so we package it. And the reason why we do it this way, by the way, is because, I don't know, it'd be weird in Germany if we had a loaf of bread and everybody ripped a piece off or whatever, but we have this, this little cup and this little piece of bread, and sometimes it's so clinical and almost sterile that we lose the significance. This isn't something that we're just to do here on Sunday morning. Did you know, in the early church, there were, among the gathering of believers, there were some who had actually been at the Last Supper. They had been with Jesus when he took the loaf, and he broke it the point where they could never break a loaf of bread again without thinking of that moment. Just this weekend, I was at Camp Compass, Copus, and I was sitting across from one of our adult leaders, and um, we had a roll there on the table, and uh, it was a very delicious roll, and um, right before I buttered that roll, now all you can think about is buttered bread, it's delicious, but I looked at him and I went, in remembrance, that just made that meal about Jesus. 
Every time a loaf gets broken, broken out, take a moment to say, Jesus. Bust out that loaf. Breaking bread also symbolized or spoke of their times together over a meal. We're so hurried in our generation, we don't take time to just eat with one another. It was significant in the ancient Near East to share a meal with somebody. Man, it was a sim- symbol of, of friendship and of koinonia. I want you to hear this quote from Dr. Constable. A meal shared together was both a symbol and seal of friendship. And when Christ is at the center, it is communion and it is Christ-centered community. Break bread together. And it was also expressed through the prayers. And so you've got these people, they're devoted to the word of God. They are devoted to Christ-centered community. They are in fellowship. They are breaking bread together and they are praying together. And I believe one of the roadmaps of prayer that they followed is the same roadmap that we have in the disciples' prayer or the Lord's prayer in Matthew 6 that begins with our Father. It doesn't begin with my Father. It begins with our Father. It's ultimately a prayer of community. And so they are devoted together, they are fellowshipping, they are eating, and they are praying together. And you know what that does? You know what happens to people that are doing that, that are devoted to Christ and to one another? You know what falls upon them? Verse 43, awe. The awe of God. That word awe means fear and reverence. When God is moving and you can literally feel his presence in a place, it should stir in us a sense of awe. And not only were they in awe of God, but they were in awe of what was being done through the apostles. In fact, look at the end of verse 43. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through who? Through the who? Apostles. This is very important. And I'll tell you why. Luke is giving us a picture, uh, giving us a picture of why this is important. He writes it this way to show us two things. First, the miracles and signs were validating the teaching of the apostles. Just as much as the miracles, signs, and wonders through Jesus validated his lordship and his messiahship, the signs and the miracles that were being done through the apostles validated themselves as apostles. These are works that God was doing specifically through them to validate the teaching but it was also to tell us that it was only the apostles. Y'all see that? Many wonders and signs were being done through the who? The apostles. I make this point specifically for a reason, because there are some today who are calling themselves miracle workers and apostles. It is a very distinct office. It is an office that existed for a short period of time, and I see it very, very clearly in the 11 and then in 12 the 12th apostle as Paul the apostle. But as the apostles began to breathe their last, that particular office began to come to a close. It was given for a specific time period. It was given for a specific purpose. And I say that because there are people who will call themselves apostles and miracle workers. And I want to tell you right now, they're either misled, they misunderstand, or they're misleading. I'm not saying miracles don't happen. But there is nothing like what was happening in the first century through the apostles. Their shadow would fall on somebody, they'd be healed. We're going to see in chapter 3, Peter's going to walk in and go, Silver and gold I have not for you. Rise up, take up your mat and walk. 
It's a very, very distinct office, as we will see through the book of Acts. And so awe comes upon the early church. They are full of the Holy Spirit, and then a distinct atmosphere begins to break out. When I talk about atmosphere, I mean about the temperature. What is the relational temperature in a church? Is is it a place that is hot with worship or frictious with gossip? Is it a place where there is a grace of generosity or the closed fist of being miserly or selfish? Is there a servant's spirit here or is there a demanding self-focused interest? Is it gladness or ungratefulness? Are we drawing people to Christ or are we repulsing people in the name of Jesus? It very much depends on who we're devoted to. The atmosphere of the church in the first century is very distinct, and I pray it is an atmosphere that we experience here. Because the atmosphere is seen as glad and generous and joyous and praise-filled. They were magnetic. People were being drawn to them. Look at verse 44. It says, all who believed were what? What does that word say? They were together. They were devoted together. And they had all things in common. That means they shared their stuff, which is crazy because there's billions of dollars being pumped into our culture to tell us, no, 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 it's not about giving to other people, it's about acquiring for self. And it's so crazy because I stand up here for a short period of time every single week and I'm trying to convince us that that isn't the way to life. But I'm fighting against decades of of conditioning and billions of dollars. Seems impossible. Because it's impossible to try to convince us in our natural mind that to save our life we lose it, but to give up our life for Jesus' sake is then we gain it. But somehow they got that. And they saw their stuff, stuff as not as their own, but as something that could be sold or something that could be given away. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any has need. That is uncommon generosity. It's a part of the atmosphere of the early church. They were incredibly generous, and it is so uncommon today. No one considered their property as their own. They were taking parcels of land and selling it and giving the proceeds to the church. They were taking their extra stuff and selling it. They didn't sell everything. I can tell you, look at verse 46. It says, and day by day, attending the temple, breaking bread in their homes. They're together. (laughs) They received their food with glad and generous hearts. I can tell you they didn't give away everything because they still have homes. But just less cluttered homes. They had less stuff. And the text says they had glad and generous hearts. That word generous, it means simple or humble, not cluttered. And I think one of the reasons they were so free to give away their stuff is because Jesus had foretold the destruction of Jerusalem So they're in Jerusalem, they know the destruction's coming, and they're like, why hold on to this stuff? It's going to get destroyed. Let's just give it away. Woo-hoo! But haven't we been told the same thing? We enter this world with what? Nothing. We leave this world with what? We leave this world with what? What do we leave this world with? Nothing. Let that really sink in for a second. We leave this world with nothing. Why do we cling to it? 
Why do we hoard it? We're so fascinated by things that are shiny. It takes our eyes off of somebody who's truly glorious. Day by day, they're attending the temple together. And you know what happens? Verse 47, they're praising God and having favor with all people. Having favor with all people. That's weird. I thought the church were a bunch of antagonists. Isn't that what the church is known as? A bunch of hypocrites. Parasitic. The church is often described as parasitic. We're just feeding on culture, have our own needs met. Gosh, wouldn't it be incredible if people just knew Firewall is a place where we strive to bless the community and bless the culture? Not to promote Firewall, but just to bless so we can earn the right to share the gospel with people. And you know what happens? Day by day, people were being added who were being saved. I can't believe I'm reading that. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So if as a ministry, we set out corporately to devote ourselves to Jesus and to one another through his word, through the fellowship, through the breaking of bread and through the prayers, there will be an uncommon atmosphere here. An atmosphere of gladness and generosity and joy and praise and a heart that desires to bless, and people will be added day by day being saved. How many of you would like to be a part of a place like that? What do you do when 3,000 people show up? We may actually have to answer that. Applications. Devoted together. That is the description of the early church, devoted together. Over the next couple of months, we are going to be rolling out in what, in my opinion, is some of the most significant content that we have had in our church's history. A linear process of how you get connected, how you get cultivated, and how you become a champion of Christ, where we become accountable to you and you become accountable to us, we become accountable to, to, to each other. So that folks can walk in through these doors and they don't have to wander around and go like, how do I get connected here? I don't know what to do. And they wander around for a while and they just kind of wander out the doors. But a very, very clear process. I've been praying for 70 years for God to give clarity. And I, I'm just blown away. And I'm not being a cheerleader, by the way. I'm telling you the truth. What's going to be rolled out, in my opinion, is some of the most significant stuff I've ever seen. How we can live out that devoted together as a community. Because secondly, I believe that that atmosphere, we could preach about generosity and gladness and joy and praise and serving and sharing the gospel. And we talk about those things topically, but I know what's going to happen when we're devoted to Jesus. That stuff will flow out of us. You won't even be able to contain it. People will be like, why are you so joyous? <laughs> I can't even contain it. I love Jesus. And people will be like, well, could you tone it down? It's about three in the morning. You get into work. Hey, Bob! I mean, just joy, man. 
And generosity, when somebody has a need, you're like, oh, wait, hold on. Check this out. Where's my wallet? Here you go. Serving, you hear about a need in the community, you're like, oh, dude, we could totally do that. We could totally go clean up the lake. What? It's messy? Let's go. We can go pick up trash. And maybe by picking up trash, someone will go, why are you doing this? Because we love Jesus and we love you. Can we tell you about Jesus? That atmosphere is, is not something that we bring about or manufacture. It's something that God brings about, and we're going to allow him. Amen? And then finally, I'm going to end here. I'm going to give you something that I've been giving you over the past. And by the way, you all have done so good, and I, I know it's, I've been talking for a while. And it's hard to sit and listen to someone talk. But I want to talk about this just very briefly, and then we'll conclude. But this is something you've seen before. How do you grow personally? How do you grow in your personal walk in, in through community? We're going to talk at the personal level, and then we're going to go to the community level over the next couple of months. But here is how you grow personally. This is, it's as simple as your hand. Everybody hold a hand. Hi. Hi, great to see you. Okay, put your hand down. What is the first, what is the thumb? What does it stand for? The gospel. That is where the Christian life begins, with the gospel the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot live the spiritual life apart from having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through the gospel. That is where the Christian life begins. You want to learn how to grow as a Christian? Begin at the gospel. Then secondly, what do you add to that? Daily scripture reading. Kenyatta, you're rocking it. Ten points, gold star, thumbs up. Daily scripture reading. And I remember the overwhelming feeling when somebody handed me a Bible when I first became a believer, and they were like, uh, you're supposed to read it. I was like, how much? What part of it? All of it. And I was like, whoa, that's a big book. A lot of pages. I'm not a reader. And you just think about how staggering that is, handing somebody a book that is that it, it, literally 40-plus authors, 66 books spanning 1,500 years, and you're like, good luck! Read it. So what we've done is we've broken down four books that we want you to focus on. We call it G-Jar, Genesis, John, Acts, and Romans. Because that will give you a fantastic foundation to build on. Genesis, John, Acts, and Romans. Daily scripture reading, and we're going to do our best to walk you through those four books and the remainder of the 66. And then you add to that daily prayer, where you're learning how to pray and have a conversation with the Lord. And you know what's going to flow from that? serving. Family, we are to serve one another. We are to come here to serve one another. We should not be fighting to get people into our parking lot to serve out there. It should not be this hard. Y'all, do you realize that there, there have literally been people who have been driving by. There was somebody out in the parking lot working on our parking lot team that waved at a motorist. That motorist went, wow, that person looks friendly. Turns in and goes, I guess I'm going to church walked in, did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, heard the gospel, gave their life to Christ, were baptized, and are growing. Because somebody, it's not made up. I mean, literally, somebody was waving in the parking lot. Serving. It should not be as hard as it is to get somebody to serve at guest services or in our children's ministry or student ministry. We should desire to serve, but you know what? I could sit here and preach about serving, but you know what? I know it's going to happen when you start with the gospel and your daily reading and your daily praying. You're going to have a heart of service and of giving. It's just going to happen. And you're going to have a heart to share. Sharing the gospel. I guarantee we walk in this, you're going to grow. We all want to grow, don't we? 
This is how we grow at the personal level, and I'll walk us through how we do it in community in weeks and months to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the attentive listening of this congregation. They have done so good today. And I want to, I want to tell you, Lord, it is a privilege to be a shepherd here. But Lord, I bend my knee to you. You are the true shepherd. Lord Jesus, you are the author and finisher of our faith. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the groom and we are the bride. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would please do a work here that only you can do. Stir in us a heart of devotion for you and for one another. Make us hungry for your word. Hungry to connect with one another and to grow. We beg and plead for this community. We ask God for the super cent. The two percent of those who exist within five miles of this place. Lord, you know our heart for the whole world, but we ask that Lord Jesus for this season that you would save and reach 2% and then through firewall. May we have that honor and privilege, sir. We love you with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. If you are here this afternoon and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please listen. Please don't let your mind wander. The Lord Jesus died for your sins on the cross. He was buried and he is risen. And the Bible declares that apart from faith in him, you are separated from God because of sin. And you are destined for death. The Bible declares that Christ Jesus has died for your sins, was buried for your death, and has risen for your life. And if you trust him, you place your trust in him and tell him that you believe in him, you will be saved. If that is your heart this morning or this afternoon, you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, tell him in the quietness of your heart, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for my sins, that you were buried, and you've risen. Please save my life. If that is your prayer, You've just passed from death to life. You are forever His. The Holy Spirit has come into your heart. You are a child of the living God. And now it's time to grow. We love you, Jesus, for your glory. Amen. I'm going to ask that we stand together. We're going to be sent out singing. Again, thank you for being so attentive today this time. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, you are love. Now go tell the world and go show the world that they are too. Have a wonderful week in Jesus.